Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Melvin. In this episode, I speak with Sasha White, the co-founder of Plebity and the Free Speech Fund. Sasha speaks truthfully about identity politics, getting fired, and what unfolded after being publicly defamed for a tweet labeled transphobic. Her journey navigating the online world as a truth speaker illuminates the intersection of free versus compelled speech, public punishment, women's livelihoods, and finding community on the other side. Sasha sheds light on the social suicide of young women, the paradox of intolerance, and the dystopian sterilization of children, all strictly in the name of inclusivity and the religion of trans ideology. As a teenager growing up, I always felt like feminism connected, what made sense to me. You know, I was all for being a strong woman and for women to be free and free of male violence and domination. But I was always very deeply unsatisfied with the brand of feminism that was being given in the media at the time that I think it still is, or even maybe worse now. And now I'm 25 now. So it was a lot of like Taylor Swift saying stuff like, oh, don't worry, it's not about being angry. Feminism is actually just about equality. That's sort of the only word of substance that would be used, equality. And it's really, it's not about uh, rioting or picketing or anything like that. It's not about being angry. It's just about equality and it's for everyone. Well, that doesn't make sense because if feminism wasn't about rioting or picketing or any of those things, then we wouldn't even have the right to vote. So that never really sat well with me. And then when I was in college, I came across Gail Dines, who's a professor, and she um, is a Marxist feminist. I think she talks a lot about pornography and how porn uh, harms women. And she does these presentations. You can find her on YouTube, these lectures about what's really in porn today, because we're not just talking about sort of the playboy, like what you might think of as like images of sex, which is not a problem necessarily. It's not inherently an issue for feminists, but the real degradation and abuse, that's what they're using to to sell, to make money. So um, that was how I first heard of radical feminism. And radical feminism, what I learned was about getting to the root of patriarchy. And it was this wonderful uh, antidote to the shallow sort of Taylor Swift feminism. So that's how it all started for me. And so did you find a community of radical feminists? Like, was this more of kind of um, like an intellectual kind of hobby or were you involved in activist spaces? Like, how were you expressing and practicing radical feminism? Yeah, it was more solitary. Um, At that time, it was most of my friends weren't really interested in it. And I was going to a liberal university where people where you know at the beginning of your course you would have to say your pronouns and stuff like that so I was alone in that and I wasn't really doing anything actively in fact I felt kind of a cognitive dissonance in my own life because my experiences felt in some ways wrong um being like a late teen and sort of moving through the world of like hookup culture and 
where BDSM is celebrated and stuff like that. So it was kind of solitary and confusing. And I did other political organizing that didn't have anything to do with feminism. And it's just now really that uh, this has become my main issue. So then what signaled you to start speaking out on Twitter? Well, um, I only just joined Twitter last fall, I think. And I noticed that there were all these outspoken women and men who were gender critical. And um, by that time, I definitely was as well. And so I was really excited to see this community. I just jumped right in. At, at first, I was anonymous because it is scary to, to talk about these things when you have different opinions on it. It was actually super exciting for me. It was like the first time I was talking to lots of other people besides just a few close friends who, who I talk with. Yeah, so I just jumped right in. And so then take us to what happened most recently. You were fired for expressing your gender critical views on, on Twitter. How did walk us through? Can you like tell the story of, of what happened there? Yeah, so over the summer, um, I got hired as uh, an assistant literary agent. So I was an intern at a literary agency for a while. It was all remote and got hired, started working for about a month. Everything was going great. And then one night, it was a Sunday night, I got an email from my boss that said, um, that was a link to a tweet about me and all he had added were the words what is going on here with like three exclamation points and the tweet was by an anonymous user and it said this person this radical feminist is spewing filth and hatred on twitter and avoid them at all costs everyone in the publishing industry avoid her they had tagged me and my agency so from there it was only 27 minutes later that my boss emailed me that I was fired. And that was that was it. So between the time that that tweet had been posted about me and the time I was fired was less than two hours. And what the what that was referencing what I was being accused of was, I had two Twitter accounts, I had my personal account where I talked about feminism and gender critical, and I was really outspoken. And I had my professional account, which did mention my job was on mostly other topics. And the personal Twitter account didn't mention where I work at all ever, but um, that was what had been highlighted by the anon the angry uh, anonymous tweeter who was calling me a turf. So that was what happened. And what was the tweet? What did you say in the tweet? Was it an attack on your whole account or was it a particular tweet that your boss cited? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my boss did cite a particular tweet when I did uh, finally get to talk to him on the phone. Uh, I, the firing was already a done deal, but I wanted a chance to speak on the phone with him. So the tweet that he cited was a tweet I had written in reference to an Elon Musk tweet that said, just pronouns suck. So that tweet came out. I thought it was pretty funny and all the responses, people were getting really riled up. So I used his wording. I said, the reason I think pronouns suck is, and then I gave a little critique about how I don't think uh, switching pronouns or using they, them pronouns helps fight sexism. You know, it's perfectly fine if that's the choice that you want to make. And I do actually, uh, I'm, courte I'm a courteous person. I respect people's pronouns when I meet them, but, um, but I don't think that they are actually progressive. So that was the tweet. And it's still there. People can go look at it if they want.
That's interesting that you, so you do respect people's pronouns. So I've been back and forth on this. You know, I, I'm someone who doesn't believe that there is true trans. You know, I think most radical feminists would, would, uh, would agree, right? Um, versus, you know, Abigail Schreier's analysis of trans, which is that there are true trans and then there are like the young girls who have been swept up in this craze. You know, the way that I see the respecting other people's pronouns is, is actually a violation of my constitutional rights, which is you know, that I believe in a different, I don't believe in that religion. And I really think, you know, trans ideology is a religion. So I, I have made a commitment to, to, to not use uh, what's called, what used to be called preferred pronouns, which are now mandatory pronouns. So um, that's an interesting distinction. Do you, do you do that to avoid conflict and like harassment? Cause I could see, I could also see a situation where I would just comply to avoid uh, harassment uh, and potential like physical harm. But yeah, can you, can you say a little a bit more about that, that choice? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I really appreciate the point you're making about that we each have a right to not indulge in other people's religions. And I also see this as very religious, religion-like. And um, my feeling on it right now is that it's a courtesy and um, that it's a courtesy that I want to extend, but it is certainly not something that I will ever be compelled to do. So if I feel compelled, I will have to go the opposite way. And I do feel compelled in a lot of cases. And uh, after I got fired, a lot of people were going through my old tweets and getting mad at me about other stuff I had tweeted, which, you know, didn't have anything to do with what my boss cited. But there was, uh, you know, where I did uh, use the word man for a transgender woman. So the and the reason being, because to not tell the truth in that regard to not call a man a man feels like a violation of my own soul as a female. So that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. I do want to respect people and be polite, but uh, I won't, I won't be compelled or coerced into doing it. And I don't like that it is being pushed that if you misgender someone, that's violence. I don't agree with that. Well, it is already starting to become illegal, right? That you could be um, not just fired from your job, but that you could face a fine or even be in jail for stating the truth believing in biological reality, believing that sex is immutable, that sex can't be changed. This is, yeah, it's really dangerous territory. I think, I hear what you're saying, extending the courtesy is different than um, like uh, following a kind of compliance. And what I find so insidious about transgender ideology is that the language is constantly asking us to reinforce the ideology, right? They're there that, that every word spoken is either a, um, an act of compliance or, you know, taking a stand against it. Like the, the, and this is the power of what we're saying. And I think so few women have the courage to, as you said, like on Twitter, like call a man, a man, which is so scary. It's just terrifying. And 
So what was the conversation like with your boss after? Yeah, it was, um, it was very brief. It was about 10 minutes and um, it was the next morning because the firing happened su- Sunday night. So Monday morning I got through to him. I started by asking what did I do or say to merit being fired and that's when he read me the tweet about pronouns. And um, he also read me about, I think, four other retweets that I had made. So nothing else that I had written, but things I had retweeted, things like uh, only women can get pregnant. So these were the types of things that he was citing. It was nothing like anti-trans. It was not anti-anyone. It was not hateful. Um, it was not harassment. It was, it was very clear that, this, that he was being threatened by people who were complaining and that he was my my view is that he wanted to save face and that he didn't want the agency to be linked to this you know i asked him do you think what was hateful about that when he when we were talking about the tweets and he said it wasn't that it was it's not hateful per se but it invalidates trans identities and that's not how trans people see it so that's what he said and i countered with well trans people aren't a monolith they don't all see things the same way i follow a lot of trans people who see it in a different way and in fact, I've now spoken to several trans people who, you know, would not agree with my boss or with the people who wanted me to get fired. And, you know, he didn't have a lot to say to me. Like I said, I got, really got the impression that he was under pressure to punish me and publicly, as was the case, because they did release an announcement uh, that night on Twitter about me and, you know, denouncing me. So the call just ended with, um, me saying to him, I want you to remember that you are firing a woman for her feminist views. And I just, it was important to me to say that, even if it didn't make a difference. And uh, there was kind of a long pause and he said something like, I can see why you see it that way. And that was sort of the end. Wow. This was a public punishment of Mm. you. Yeah, exactly. You know, everything is pretty well documented. If people want to, they can still go and look and see. I I think it's all still there. You can certainly still find everything. The agency's tweets, they put out this statement that right after I got fired that said, you know, Sasha White, so they use my name, is uh, no longer with us because of anti-trans sentiments and we are now making a donation to... Uh, rent and gender affirming surgery for trans people of color. I remember reading that. Wow. That's so crazy. It's like now they have to repent forever even being associated with you mm-hmm. by not only denouncing you, firing you, but raising money for men and women to get elective medical and pharmaceutical treatment. Yeah, and you know, their kind of rationale was like, our jobs put us in a position of gatekeeping because as a literary agent, you get to choose, oh, this book looks great, let's try to get it published. These books don't look good, we ignore them. It's a somewhat of a gatekeeping position. Um, So their argument was that I would act as a gatekeeper to trans stories, which is not even true because uh, that's just not even the way I operate as a professional. But at the same time, they are then excluding 
the female perspective, the gender critical perspective, the perspective of anyone who doesn't believe in this religion. Can you speak to why you think less than 1% of the population who identify as trans would have the power to silence you? You're, you know, and again, for anyone listening, like this is, uh, the, you know, the canceling and the deplatforming is often thought of people at really, really high levels, like celebrities, um, athletes, politicians, but this is happening to like everyday women, right? These are this is like entry level uh, positions as well. It's not just the people at the top who are being um, punished, whose livelihoods are being taken away. Yeah, that question really goes to the heart of it because I, it's not compatible, right? That there's this vulnerable, oppressed minority, and then at the same time, they can get people fired in a pattern. Like, as you pointed out, it's a pattern. It's not just my case. There are a lot of similar cases. Um, it's really because there's this group of activists who claim to fight on behalf of all trans people who have a misogynistic and homophobic ideology. And um, I do think that they use trans rights as as a thin cover for that agenda. They might not even know it. Some of them don't even know it. A lot of them believe that they're well-intentioned. It's a lot of men. It's a lot of white men. So it's it's really the same old power that can silence women and can tell women to shut up for talking about being women. That's that's really how I see it. And there's this idea of the, the paradox of tolerance that a lot of so-called liberals have, you know, I'm on the left, I don't consider anyone who wants to get someone else fired and lose their livelihood uh, a leftist. But um, the idea of the paradox of intolerance is that if someone else is intolerant, you have to be intolerant of them. So to stamp out someone else's voice is now a virtuous act in their mind. So what was the reaction like on Twitter? I know there was a flood of comments. It was insane. It was actually, I've never had anything like that happen. I tweeted, you know, it's true. I was fired for my feminist views. Um, if you've ever had something like this happen, please reach out. And that tweet just took off. It ended up getting like 13,000 likes and it really struck a nerve. And so there was this outpouring of support and outrage. And uh, that was really intense and powerful. And I am eternally grateful for everyone who said that they stood with me because it was kind of like a Spartacus moment where, you know, even though I did lose my job, that's all over. That's not going to be able to be changed. The fact that everyone did stand up for me, stand with me, made all the difference really in the world in terms of my opportunities moving forward. And so what has it been like for you since then? What, what are the opportunities? What are you building? Um, mm -hmm. what, are the, what are the new kind of spaces that you're in as a result of being fired? Luckily, I, you know, did have other sort of career aspirations and plans in the works. So I have things that uh, are developing that are exciting that uh, I can't quite comment on yet, but um, I'm really excited about a personal project that I'm doing called plebity.org. And it's a platform that I created with my dad and my brother. 
And uh, it's, it's a platform for long form interviews. So I have a podcast on the site that I'm just sort of amping up. And I just released my first conversation with Helen Joyce, who's a gender critical journalist. And um, that is a project that I'm really excited about. I especially want to try to speak to really young women who are trying to navigate all of this and who, if they speak out, risk social suicide, especially if they're in an LGBT space or community. And so what was it like, speaking of a social suicide, what was it like for you socially? What was it like with your former co-workers? Did, did anyone know that you were gender critical before all this? So I had only had the job for a month. So I had been interning for a while. So I, my former boss, who was also my mentor, uh, we knew each other better, but he, you know, he didn't know anything about my, my gender critical views or my personal views. It's a very small agency. There were only two other coworkers, so I didn't know them very well. I, you know, I had only ever talked to them on the phone or on Zoom. And one of them, a guy, did tweet an apology for me that same night. He tweeted, you know, uh, sorry for the content that was tweeted from this account. It's, it's not what we believe. And, uh, and my DMs are open to trans people so he also threw me under the bus and um and then in terms of socially i have an amazing core group of friends and they have just stood by me 100 percent. with each of them i've had this conversation a long time ago about hey uh, tentatively i don't really think that uh, men can become women just because they identify as such and there's this moment of relief like oh i can say that too because a lot of other people would call me a bigot for saying that um so that's the case with my friends i've certainly had that conversation go the other way and had a lot of negative interactions with people around my age but uh I think a lot of people believe it hardcore. They would think that I'm a turf, but a lot of people are just quiet about it. And uh, so it's mixed, but I'm lucky in that I have good friends and family. That's awesome. That's really refreshing to hear that. Yeah, you have that that core group of support and that you're able to kind of... um, speak openly with your your close friends you know I, I have this group series going right now and um some of the women have worked up the courage to like express how they really feel to some of their friends and the response has been overwhelmingly positive a couple oh, that's a great couple, like a couple um of like oh my gosh you know i was thinking this too and i'm so glad you said this because i was afraid to say it you know we're so we're living in this space of you know we're all at the same time thinking that we're the only ones and you know like you said most of your um kind of inquiry and um study of radical feminism was in solitude and so that's that's really um heartening to hear that that, that you have a, a good group going in um, that you had that outpouring of support on on Twitter. And it doesn't go that way for everyone, you know? Like, since I got fired, there have been more women fired, and you mentioned one uh, from, the, from the restaurant. I, I heard about her, too. And um, there have been others, and, you know, for whatever reason, it struck a nerve. But, uh, yeah, and then and my immediate family has also been amazing. They've all been peak trans, so to speak, in the sense that I've, Uh, open their eyes to the sexism that's inherent in this ideology 
And I'm glad to hear that other women have been having that experience. It's really interesting because that conversation that I've had repeated that you just referenced of speaking the truth and then relief that you can is really powerful because it's like we're living in this world where people are afraid to speak the truth. That's scary to me. It's really interesting when you when you kind of flip it and see who who is actually silenced, as you said, like this, you know, the, the kind of the propaganda that there's this small minority population that is so marginalized, yet they have the power to silence the whole female sex class. It's it's absurd. It's absurd. So thank you for, for articulating that that earlier. Where do you think this is going? Well, I hope that we are maybe getting close to turning a corner. I mean, I it, it's interesting because my story was really picked up in the UK and not in the US. Um, if it weren't for the interest in the UK, it would have it wouldn't really have been a story. They're ahead of us in terms of dissent. I think that might be because they're ahead of us in terms of the ideology uh, being put into policy and law. So they're already seeing that even more than us, but we, we have that happening here as well. Um, so I can only hope that people continue to break the silence and speak out. I think every person who does is like a little chink. I see a lot of, I see some leftist commentators who I follow who have always been afraid to touch this issue. And they're starting to say little things like that they don't agree with the silencing and the canceling. So I see some hope there. And I hope there will be more. I, I have that hope as well. And, and I think, you know, these big, um, the, mostly men with big platforms who are talking about cancel culture, I still feel such resentment and frustration that they don't go all the way with radical feminism. And I can't help but wonder if they actually just don't care about women. Like, you know, it's, it's really, um, I would feel naive in some ways to, to, to place hope on that coming true. And, you know, I think um, something that's been coming up in conversation is the level of patriarchy in both camps, like in right wing politics and then left wing as well, that, 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 and that women are going from one end to the other trying to find help and no one's, you know, freaking helping us. And, and so I think that is why so many women when they find radical feminism, finally feel like they have found a home. And, and for anyone listening, you know, radical feminism is not a religion. Radical feminism can easily be described as just plain old feminism. Yeah. It's, I think the women, yeah, who come into these kinds of thoughts and practices are women who have been disappointed on one end or the other. And so you know, maybe I think you've probably seen this too, where, where um, you know, self-proclaimed liberal women are now leaving the left and, and don't identify as liberals anymore, myself included. However, I have no interest in, in being a part of a right-wing political party or any kind of religious practice. And so where does that, where does that leave us? And yeah, I think one of the more hot topics that's on Twitter, you know, the you know, things like Sam Harris, you know, for example, is talking about is this cancel culture, the toxicity of it all, but isn't really going there when it comes to women's issues and, and women's liberation. And Yeah, I, I see that. And I have 
you know, thought maybe I'm politically homeless now or something. I've always been sort of independent, um, always leftist in the se- in many ways, but there's this expression that um, the the right wants women to be private property and the left wants women to be public property. So yeah, there's misogyny on both sides and the misogyny on the left is in the guise of progressivism, which I just can't stand. It's really difficult. And uh, I just spoke with Helen Joyce on my podcast and she made this really interesting point that in the US, she's in uh, the UK, but in the US that we have these very strict set of policies, these packages that you can choose. So you can choose the Republican one, you can choose the Democratic one. Unfortunately, we don't really have much other choice, but um, if you want to reject the Republican package that is like anti-abortion, you know, anti-right to choose, all these things that a lot of women don't want to support, and then you have to take the, the Democratic package, which includes this really regressive, sexist, homophobic ideology. So we are stuck, and it's very difficult. Yeah, I think, and I think the consciousness is raising. I think the more, you know, the more of us who speak out, um, who are unafraid, who are setting an example to, you know, say that, yes, there are consequences, you know, you can get fired, you could lose your friends, you can um, have physical threat, or you could even be the uh, recipient of actual uh, physical abuse, not just threat, right, that these consequences are real. And like, what else are we, like, what is the alternative? Like, the alternative is to just go along for this, like, horrendous ride. Um, And so I I take comfort in the thought that it will implode. Like, I, I would like to think that it's going to implode, or we're just on the path to, like, a full on kind of transhumanist agenda where even more so our, our, our reproductive organs will be outsourced um, and exploited further, which might sound extreme, but is already, you know, we know this is already happening with prostitution and surrogacy and third party reproduction and the increase in, in medicalized birth and, um, you know, irreversible sterilization happening to women. And, and so it really, what we're in now is just, I think that that next chapter. So part of me thinks that, God, I hope it implodes. Like, I hope we have more Kira Bells coming forward suing the doctors that promised them, you know, full functioning penises, which is so absurd. Um, but for a child's mind is like, wow, this is my, you know, this is my ticket out. Yeah, I. it might be that, as you're saying, that the the, the bubble will implode because of the medical stuff with kids. I mean, that's one of the most disturbing aspects of this, if not the most disturbing aspect, which is that children are being shuffled into this treatment that can lead to sterilization, can lead to no more sexual function. And I don't think any kid should be allowed to consent to this. Um, If you're an adult, that's a whole separate issue. I might not like plastic surgery as a as an example, but I don't have a say in it. But when it comes to kids, it's very different. And um, as this generation gets older, and you mentioned Abigail Schreier, and I think she said that there's this huge increase in young female to male transitioners. So 
girls who want to transition to be boys. I do think this is going to come to a head. And we're already seeing a lot of detransitioners, like you mentioned, Carabelle, people who are not happy with what was done to them. And I think these surgeons should be absolutely taken to task. I mean, is it not a dystopian idea that we desex children or that we surgically destroy the function of their genitals before they even can mature? It, it speaks to the the kind of indoctrination that has occurred. I think that, that hearing you say that obviously for me is like, well, duh, you know, that's, that's child abuse. That is straight up child abuse. That is so dystopian. That is so wrong. Um, it's exploitative. It's, it's disgusting. And at the same time, right on the other side is no, this is, this is the way to help the child. And so I'm always interested in the kind of interception that, that people experience who have been indoctrinated with the ideology, with the belief system, with the religion, that sex change is possible, feasible at all. But it sounds like you didn't go through an indoctrination, right? You were kind of always steadfast in your beliefs about feminism. And, and that's so powerful to have, you know, to have that kind of strong grounding in that. Have you had any success in changing people's minds? So, you know, self-declared kind of liberal feminists, um, showing them the harms of, of trans ideology. There's no one I can think of right off the bat. Like, yeah, I completely, I mean, actually some people in my family, I, I have seen that um, just because they didn't, they weren't necessarily liberal feminists. They were just, they were just accepting of LGBT and I am too, but uh, there's this real sinister thing going on with the T, which is what we've been obviously talking about. And um, I don't know if I can say that I have, I hope that I have, but I don't know that I have yet. Maybe I'll find out someday. It's hard to know who's watching silently, who's a silent supporter. Um, and my, my like kind of exit out of all this, you know, wasn't super linear. Like there were people planting seeds along the way that just kind of, you know, again, made me, made me question, made me think like, what is, what is really going on here? Something isn't lining up or, you know, um, how is this for, how is this actually for women? So yeah, I'm interested to hear, but I'm, I'm sure your, your content has, has resonated with plenty of women who have yet to come out as, as gender critical. And I want to believe that there will be people five, 10 years from now coming to us saying, um, damn, like, that, that is fucked up to trans kids. And that was fucked up that you were fired for talking about women's sex-based protections and rights, you know, that, that was weird. And, um, and I was scared, you know, also being like transparent, you know, that, that I was scared. I didn't know what to do or I believe, I really believed that this was right. So it'll be interesting to see, yeah what happens. Yeah. 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 I mean, thinking definitely comes in waves and trends. Like usually people do follow the trends. Some of us have something in us that just doesn't let us go. For me, if I am told not to say something, I want to keep saying it. And, um, but 
it's human nature to go along with the trends of thinking. And I hope, like you're saying, it will change and people will, because people's brains are malleable, that they'll then swing somewhere else. I don't think the vast majority of people are like hardcore trans rights activists, which just as a little side note, it does, I don't believe that they are really fighting for trans rights, which I'm completely in favor of trans people having rights and getting their rights and maintaining their rights. But um, when I say trans rights activists, I mean the type of people who got me fired. Yeah. So I don't think most people truly believe it. I think, yes, a lot of people do, but a lot of people are just going along with it. That has to change, but I, I think it will. Can you make the distinction when you say trans rights? What do you mean by trans rights? Um, and where do you see it crossing over into then a violation of, of women's rights? The first thing is like, as a basic rule, I believe that in the tenant that my right to swing my fist ends at your head. So pretty much do whatever you want. And I completely support that. But once it begins to infringe on women's rights, then it's a problem. So in terms of trans rights, I mean, People who are gender non-conforming in any, however they identify and whichever sex they are, they face abuse, they sometimes face discrimination, and we don't necessarily have the right legal protections for them at this time because we have, uh, sex is a protected characteristic in law in the U.S., So you can't be discriminated against on the basis of your sex and race, but we don't have any thing about uh, gender. So what the activists are trying to do now is change the definition of sex in law to mean your gender identity. So it would mean that women can no longer have rights just by virtue of being female. And that is a problem that has a lot of repercussions. So a lot of well-meaning people think that that's the way forward is to change that. They might not even really know that that's exactly what's happening in law. And I'm no legal expert. I don't really even know much about this. I've just started doing research about it since I got fired about this specific topic about the law, um, about sex in the law. But um, it might be a better solution to add a protected characteristic that is something like gender expression, um, which is a material thing. It's like gender identity is really just a pronouncement. It's, you know, as we've seen, the trans umbrella includes people, yes, people who have like transitioned and are really passing or trying to pass or whatever. But then it, it also now includes people just who don't do anything physically and just pronounce that they are no longer a man or woman. So that isn't really something that can be protected in law without trampling on women's rights. So there's got to be a way to do it. I I think there's got to be a way to do it and protect and just separate these two movements really, because I think they've seized upon feminism. They've decided that they can attack women's rights because we are women, we're meant to be very agreeable and accommodating and inclusive. So now inclusivity is like the be all end all. If you're not inclusive, you're a Nazi. It it is a direct attack on women's rights when they're doing these redefinitions in the law. But at the same time, you know, I wholeheartedly want trans people to be able to just go about their lives. Yeah, one of the examples that comes to mind is like, um, legal protections for masculine presenting women in the workplace, right? Meaning that a woman 
shouldn't be forced to have, you know, long hair and wear dresses and tight skirts at a law firm, like that she is able to wear a men's suit and have short hair and not wear makeup, that there isn't a kind of dress code in like a gender, um, stereotypically female uh, dress code imposed onto her that she couldn't be penalized or fired or discriminated against for refusing to adhere to those, you know, harmful gender stereotypes. So, so that all of that makes sense. And like, that's, you know, just like butch lesbians, it's like, you know, you can't, can't do that just as men who want to wear nail polish and, you know, wear lipstick fine. But as soon as, you know, we're, we're, Radical feminists have no problem with the rejection of harmful gender stereotypes and, and men and women wearing whatever they want to wear. But there's, there's a distinction also right between plastic surgery and attempting to change sex, right? Even transsexuals, right? Transsexual men weren't trying to get recognized as women legally right? They would pass as women. Well, they would attempt to pass as women, right? So they might get breast implants and wear high heels and, and tight dresses, but there, there wasn't a push for the change in legal sex. So the thing that, that women and men have to think about is, you know, do you want it to be a right for a man to be able to legally identify as a woman or for a woman to be able to legally identify as a man? Do you consider that a right, right? So what are the distinctions there? And um, that's what that's what we're, you know, pushing up. Uh, yeah. Against. And let's say, let's use the example of a man who uh, legally changes his sex to female. If we give that right, if we grant that right, then we are infringing on the rights of women as a class to have female only spaces because you can no longer have female only spaces so it really doesn't come down to hating trans people at all it really comes down to do you believe that women have the right to say no to males biological males however they identify in their female only spaces and i believe yes we absolutely have that right and that we've been absolutely vilified for setting that boundary and that's something that's classic throughout history is when women set boundaries and say no, that we get attacked. And these women-only spaces aren't like some old traditional sexist thing. They're things that women actually fought for in order to move through the world and operate comfortably and, um, you know, like have their own swimming pools in some instances and uh, where they can be free and comfortable and women of all ages and all these sorts of, sorts of things. Yeah, it comes down to that. Do do women have the right to say no to males in their spaces? Oof, there's so yeah, those are, the conversations get so circular and, and you've probably heard this one, the um you're living in scarcity mindset, that there's room for everyone in feminism. Yeah. That mm -hmm. that one comes up a lot. Yeah, I think that's really um makes me a little bit angry because it's telling women that we have to be ever more expansive and ever more 
uh, welcoming to everyone in our movement. And it's not that we don't want to be welcoming, but it's a, it's that feminism is for females to live better lives, to be released from the fear and pain of male domination. So it's not just something that is to make everybody feel good. It's supposed to be a political movement. Um, women listening and men, whoever, please speak up. I know it's hard. I know it's really scary, but the rewards internally when you are honest are so much greater than the rewards of staying silent because I think a lot of people know that it's it's so much worse to be mad at yourself versus to have someone else be mad at you. It's so much worse feeling to lie to yourself than to have someone else lie to you. So if you are someone who's scared of speaking out or you're not sure, there is a big reward there for your psyche. It's healing, I think, for your psyche to be able to be honest and truthful. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support my work, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To stay in the loop for my latest coaching programs, hypnosis sessions, free resource guides, and more, follow me on Instagram at whosebodyisit and visit my website, whosebodyisit.com.